All right, last week we uh, laid out the opening instructions. We're, our series is titled Instructions because Paul wrote a letter to Timothy, who was the pastor at the church of Ephesus. And last week we saw that Paul warned Timothy about what false teachers and false doctrine look like and to keep his aim on love produced by a pure heart, right thinking, and sincere faith. And next, Paul has some more instructions here in chapter 2. If you want to open your Bible there, 1 Timothy chapter 2. He urges Timothy and the church of Ephesus to pray, to pray. Let's look at verse 1 there. It says, first of all, then I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceable and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Paul tells them to pray, to pray. Well, for who? Here he says, everyone, for all people, lost and saved. See, this church in Ephesus had started to lean towards an insider club, a religious elitist where they were inwardly focused. Everything they did was because the church people felt like that's what they should do rather than looking outward. And Paul says, don't forget to pray over the people that are surrounding you, the people that are around you, your community. See, when you pray for people, it causes you to think differently about them. And that's important. He also urges them to pray for authority. And that's an important thing as well, because it's easy for us to complain about our bosses, about our governors, and about our presidents, but Paul stresses the fact and the importance that we need to pray for them. Why is that important? Because prayer changes the way that you think about people. For Paul, the king in that time was Nero, and he was a vicious king that killed Christians, and he eventually would kill Paul. And Paul urged the church to pray for his repentance. Now, how, how timely a message for us today when we look at our flawed leaders on all sides in our country. Hey, they need the prayers of the church. Amen? Amen. Hey, turn me down just a little bit. I got a little bit of a ring there. I can't go down any farther on my button because I would have to take my shirt off if I did that. Hey, hey, calm down now. But we need to pray for our church leaders. Now, this also aligns with the early church's commitment to truth, but not uh, mixing the gospel with political agendas. See, we should never let our political message be louder than the gospel. See, Paul did not want them to align themselves with a rebellion or a movement. Why? Because let's not be known as followers of a party, but followers of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Russell Moore says it this way. He says, if God's way upsets our political alliances, let's crucify our political alliances. And Paul does not want the church of Ephesus to get in line with people that were fighting against the king, but rather fight for the souls of the people that are around you and support uh, the cause of Christ. Praise the Lord for that. Let's look at verse 3. It says, this is good. And it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
See, heaven's going to be a very diverse place. God wants our churches to be diverse as well. God desires all people to be saved, all people. And in those days, there was tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. In our time today, it's tension between the black and the white and Hispanic and Middle Eastern. But there's not a person or a people group that God does not desire for them to accept Christ as their Savior. God loves the world, all of it. Next, Paul jumps into a little praise break, if you will. And he gets excited here for a second. And you see this in his writing. All of a sudden, he's, he's given instruction, given instruction, and then he wants to brag on Jesus a little bit. Verse 5, he says, there is one God. For all people, there is one God. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. What did Jesus do? He gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher. Why do we have preachers? For this, for the gospel, to let people know that Jesus ransomed himself for all people. And an apostle, and I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. First, Paul starts off there. He says, there is one God. There's three in one. They call that the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But one God. I've heard it explained this way before. One plus one plus one equals one, right? That's the Trinity explained there for you. It's not great math, but that is the fact. Three in one. One plus one plus one equals one. Jesus stands between God and us on our behalf. Jesus reconciled us to God through the cross. And the Holy Spirit takes part in comforting and inspiring the believers. See, Jesus gave himself for all people. And because we serve such an awesome and amazing God, he deserves to be followed and praised. Verse 8. Watch out. You better put on your steel-toed boots there, uh, men. You ready? I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Paul calls us out there, men. Men should pray. They shouldn't be characterized by anger or fighting, but by prayer. Here in Ephesus, they were fighting about those myths and the vain discussions, endless speculation. And Paul says, stop being known for arguing and fighting, but instead be known for prayer. The Pew Research Center uh, has done extensive surveys and research on different religious habits between men and women. And I'm sorry, men, but over and over and over again, in almost every category, prayer, service, church attendance, women lead men by 10 to 15%. And if we were to take a poll at how many, the, the genders, I guarantee you there'd be more women in here than men today. Why? Because men are slacking off. You charging the stage? No, that's just Emily. <laughs> I thought I was getting threatened there. Amen. Have you ever been in that situation, right, where uh, someone asks someone to pray, right? Hey, can I have someone to pray? And it's just like really gets awkward after a minute, right? And then there's crickets after a little while. That's embarrassing, right? I found this out as a youth pastor that whenever I asked for people to pray, it was always the young girls that would do it. And that's awesome. And that's amazing. I'm glad that they want to participate and they're excited about it. But why weren't the young men participating? Why weren't they jumping up and saying, I'll pray? 
They were over there, like, you know, standing up against the wall like James Dean or something like that, thinking they're cool. They didn't want to pray. So I, cha- I challenged those young men that men ought to pray, that real men pray. And those young men stepped up as spiritual leaders beside the girls, and God moved in awesome ways. Fathers, your children ought to know who you bow your knee to. Men ought to pray. Husbands, you ought to pray with your wife. Men of CBC, we ought to be men of prayer. Not too embarrassed to put aside our pride and fear and lift up our holy hands and pray. See, we aren't too scared to give our opinion about church matters. We'll give our opinion about politics, about sports. We'll fight and argue and quarrel about finances, facilities, bylaws of the church. But men ought to pray. We need men that are willing to stand up and being spiritual leaders of their families, in their workplaces, and in this church. Why? Because prayer changes us. It changes how we think. It refocuses us on important things, and it reminds us who is in control. Men ought to pray. Next verse goes on. In verse 9, it says, Likewise, also, the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or, and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Apparently in this church, the women were tempted to flaunt their wealth. They were tempted to prove their worth by their outward appearance. But Paul says, you don't need to strive to be known for your makeup or for your clothes or for your handbag. Instead, let your godliness and good works speak for themselves. See, this is tough in today's culture because our women and girls are tempted to place their worth in their outward appearances. How many likes their selfie gets on Instagram, whether they have the perfect duck face or Insta pose. Let's see it, girls. Duck face. No, they don't want to do it. They're too embarrassed. <laughs> you see these, when we see this on, on, on Instagram and on Facebook, these, it looks like these perfect little families that never have anything go wrong, and the, the pressure to be perfect is intense. How do they ever get the laundry done? How do they have that many vacation days from work? Do they ever even get spit up on their shirt from their baby? How do they look so perfect all the time? And the pressure to be perfect is high. But someone once told me that, uh, and this is awesome, it said, they said, don't judge your behind the scenes by someone else's highlights. Don't judge your behind the scenes by someone else's highlights. See, social media, we only put the good things on there. And we, we can project that we're perfect and amazing and everything is happy. But don't buy into that lie when you compare your life to theirs. Understand that everybody struggles. And just because it looks perfect on social media doesn't mean that that is the way it is behind the scenes. Women, it encourages you to profess godliness and good works. Let that be what defines you. Next verse, verse 11 goes on and says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Uh Uh-oh, what is he going to say here, right? (laughs) See, many men have used this verse as a weapon against their spouses and women in jail. I do not recommend that. Do not bring this verse up in a fight, okay? (laughs) But we know that Timothy knew the worth of women, right? Eunice and Lois had taught Timothy the scripture and good character. But see, what doesn't jump off the page in this verse is those first 
four words. Put that back up there again. Those first four words said, let a woman learn. Let a woman learn. See, this was not culturally acceptable in those days. Segregating men and women was a huge thing. Neither Jewish or Greek culture held women in very high esteem. So Paul right here is bucking the culture by saying, let a woman learn. Let them be trained in God's word. Let them sit beside the men and hear the preaching of God's word from the apostles. And once again, Timothy saw the awesome benefits when we empower women to be spiritual. And I felt that benefit as well, listening to godly women. And my children have seen that worked out in my wife. So praise the Lord. Verse 12 goes on. It says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she remain quiet. Scholars are split on what Paul exactly meant by this verse. There's three options that they put out there. The first one is that women should never lead, pastor, teach in a church. The second is that women shouldn't lead a church, but once they're taught correctly in doctrine, unlike the women here in the church of Ephesus, that they can teach. And thirdly, uh, scholars say this teaching was specific for the church in Ephesus and that those specific women shouldn't uh, leave because they were deceived by the false teachers, much like Eve was deceived by the serpent. All right, let's move on to verse 13. Those are the three things that scholars say about that verse. And next it goes on. It says, for Adam was formed first and then Eve. And, Eve was not de- uh, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Have you ever heard someone use these verses out of context, right? I've heard preachers like preach half a message and they're just real jerky about it. Like women brought sin into the world and that's why they're terrible and and all that kind of stuff. And, And you hear these type of things and they make jokes about it. But see, what they forget is not only was a a woman responsible for bringing sin into the world, a woman was responsible for bringing a savior into the world. And you can't overemphasize what. Look, a a man did not play part in the virgin birth. That's how it works, right? A man did not play part in that, and Mary alone did. And it says a woman will be saved through childbearing, through Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. In fact, the very first uh, people to saw a resurrected Jesus was a group of women. Jesus loves women. Praise the Lord. So not only, you can't just overemphasize the sin part. You got to say, and they brought Jesus into the world as well. Praise the Lord. Let's give it up for women. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> We're going to do something different. We're going to act out what we just learned in this verse here. The band's going to come. We're going to take a moment to do what this chapter teaches. It's going to be a little awkward at the beginning, but I think it's worth something. I think it has value. In this, in this chapter, it instructs the church to pray. It instructs men to pray. So I'm going to ask for a few men to say, hey, I'll come up and lead the church in prayer. I'm looking for three. Let's see how long it takes. Men ought to pray. Hey, we got one. He's not scared. All right, come. Wait. There we go. We got another one. Let's get one more. Ah, oh, Brother Joe, look at him, all the way from the back. He's not scared either. All right, now that we've got some men, and any women that would like to lead us in prayer too? And everybody jump up all at once. 
Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you, guys. I was, I was a little bit worried how long that would take, but I was willing for it to be awkward. Hey, there we go. Awesome. Praise the Lord. All right, so when we do this, this is a little weird. Oh, they're going to lead us in prayer. Well, what am I supposed to do while they're leading us in prayer? You pray. The church prays together. Why, why do we need to pray? Praying changes the way that we think. We are a family. We are a congregation. We come together. We are the body. So what do you do while they lead us in prayer for uh, kings and for all people, for the community around us, for our government, for the people across the world, for the children that we just saw up there on the stage? What do you do while they're leading us in prayer? You pray as well. See, we are bombarded constantly by messages in this world. And for a little while, it's okay for us to be silent and for us to think. For us to pray as a church, because prayer changes the way that we think. We'll just go down. You pass the mic along when you're done. They're going to lead us in prayer this morning. 